Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To go to the Winchester, have a pint, and wait for this all to blow over? Yeah, yeah, w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of uh, Double Feature Versus, where we have double the films, um, double the stakes of lives being ruined by degenerate gambling. Brad, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. Uh, I can say after this like week of movies, uh, I really want to start playing poker again. <laughs> you know, it's it's by coincidence. Um, when you had suggested that we should watch Molly Bloom in a double feature, no, 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 Molly's Game. I had suggested we watch Molly's Game in a double feature. I just threw rounders out there because I just knew they were both two films about gambling. My first choice was Twenty One, which is another gambling film I like. Yeah, but um, I didn't know both of these were about poker. I don't even. You know what? I don't even know how to play poker. I've always wanted someone to teach me, but I, I know it's. Um, I've, I've always looked at it as an interesting game. But uh, well, between yeah, these man. two movies, you had to have a better handle on how it actually is played now. Yeah, I got a better handle, and I'll, um, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll touch on that too. But um, first time watch for for me on both of these. You said you've seen. Have you seen Rounders before? I hadn't seen Rounders before. I knew of it, but I had never actually watched it. Okay, all right. Uh, but Molly's Game I had seen. I actually saw that one as a screening uh, before it came out in theaters. Okay, cool, cool. Um, let's just start off. You want to start off with Rounders? Yeah, let's start off with Rounders since that one came first. Yeah, so like the thing with this film, I had always known it was a cult classic. Um, my dad had it on VHS, and I think I think he liked it, but um, somehow the VHS broke, and I never watched it. But I had always kept it in the back of my mind, like, oh, that Matt Damon, Edward Norton film. But I had never, I had never watched it. Um, right. So, finally got in, into it. Uh, yeah, this is a '90s film through and through, man. Yeah, and, and I mean that in a good way. It, it. The only thing missing from this movie was Ben Affleck. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, you know what? I think Ben, Ben Affleck could have been in this movie, but I don't think he could have played Edward Norton's role. I think he could have played Matt Damon's role. He might have been able to do Matt Damon's role. Um, but I feel like he should have also been like maybe one of the poker players at one of the tables at one of the casinos or something like that. Like not even like a major role, just somewhere in there because Having the 90s movie with Matt Damon and not Ben Affleck, it just feels weird to watch. <laughs> it does. They're, they're the duo from the 90s. They are, they are. And this film is basically um, it's about the underground world of, um, of poker and the high stakes, the high dangerous stakes that comes with it. Um, Matt Damon is a rounder. He's a guy that goes from different cities to cities, uh, places to places, playing high stakes card games. Um, Edward Norton is Matt Damon's friend who recently went to prison for, um, what, what was it specifically? I don't think they say why he went to prison. 
Uh, just that he was just getting out and he had money owed to people when he went in. Right, and right. He basically was. Uh, he didn't snitch on anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did his time, but um, yeah, he has money owed, and um, you know, Matt Damon, you know, is uh is working with him to uh raise a lot of money to uh pay off his debt because you know at some point in the film his debt becomes their debt as as he you know he 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 joins in with them. Yeah, um, Matt Damon's character vouches for him. I, he uh, right. his nickname was Worm, wasn't it? think so yeah not sure uh because his nickname was worm and worm. yeah yeah uh matt damon's character vouches for him uh in order to kind of give him a little bit more time on his debt that he owes because he owes fifteen thousand basically to the kgb uh and i want to say he owed money to somebody else but they kind of bought the debt uh or the kgb bought the debts off them or he bought the debts off the kgb i can't remember which way it was yeah um yeah i think he borrowed money from the kgb specifically he owes money to um you know world-class russian actor uh john malkovich yes (laughs) who plays uh who plays teddy whose whose nickname is kgb um yeah we'll get into him in a second but um so we got that we have john totoro who's like one of my favorite actors who plays um, uh, Matt Damon, who uh, Matt Damon's mentor in the film. Um, I think he's he's just always naturally good in the film, even when the film is bad. Yeah, I don't really see him in like major roles. He's always kind of that like minor side character kind of thing that right. pops in and out of movies. And yeah, he just kind of blends right into the movies. Um, like I'll always recognize him, and then after a little bit, he just kind of goes right into the character that he's playing in that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got him. We got Gretchen Maul as uh, the love interest, as um, Matt Damon's girlfriend, who um, wants him to stop gambling because um, in the beginning, and I really like this scene because I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great prologue to everything that follows and actually for the final climactic, um, I guess, battle, you should say, where he plays against John Malkovich at a poker game and he pretty much just loses everything he came with his tuition like everything yeah his savings his tuition uh basically everything to his name he loses it all in one hand of poker yeah, and it was like so quick too it was like he, he he lost it as fast as he well not as fast as he got it but as quick as he brought it into the game he lost it yeah and not only did he you know lose it he basically uh, lost his entire confidence in playing poker because he thought that he had the tells and everything for uh, John Malkovich's character and everything. So he knew right. what kind of hand he was playing with, and then it got flipped on him entirely. So he started doubting himself, and then he kind of quit playing poker entirely for a little bit, uh, even though he still had this kind of like ability to see people's tells and be able to see the cards and everything like that like a version mm-hmm. of counting cards he basically was able to do that and with using people's tells uh paid attention to when they got the cards what they could get what they would want versus what he has everything like that so it's it's very telling when he loses it all and then just quits straight up and he starts taking up a job as a delivery man right right and um yeah, you know, uh, long story short, you know, as he's working as a, um, I think he was an intern, or what was he under Martin Landau's character? He was uh, in 
a university for uh, a law degree. Right, right, yeah. And okay. so he was kind of not, I guess, an intern, but he was kind of shadowing him a little bit in like a court proceeding and stuff like that. Right. So he's doing this until you know his childhood, because Worm is his childhood friend. That's what I. That's what I forgot yep. to uh, specify. He gets out of prison. Um, dude, this is how you can tell Edward Norton like did a did a great job with this role because I, I hated him in this movie. I really did not like Worm. He was just he, to me he was just a, such a horrible friend. Like it made me question like why is why is Matt Damon trying so hard to save his friend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's even explained. You know, he's all he has left. Um, Worm lost all his friends. He has no acquaintances. His family even ditched him. The only person he has left is Mike, uh, Matt Damon's character. Mm-hmm. So it, it is explained why he sticks by him. And then even through the very end, because uh, Worm even ditches him toward the end of the movie. And Matt that Damon. That was a little awkward to me. Yeah. Like, I figured, like, we would. I feel like he would at least be around like towards the end but he kind of just after that game where the policeman beat him up and everything he just he just kind of like said all right well this is as far as the studio's paying me to be in this movie yeah he just disappears <laughs> i gotta go film something else now I, I read this script for a hulk movie i gotta go check that out <laughs> right back then it probably would have been american history x what was that after it was around the same uh, time yeah, it was probably around the same time. Who knows with filming and everything like that. It could have been filming before this and came out after or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just um I felt like he does his role does his job as being a supporting role, but I figure like I would have liked to see him in the final act when Matt Damon is squaring off with John Malkovich. Yeah, that would have been kind of nice to see him there because uh we don't even really see anybody there that's backing up uh matt damon's character it's all just the kgb and the like russian mob people that are there and then right, the people the, he owes a debt grandma. to yeah yeah um so what did you feel of like what did you feel of that final moment like um i like that uh john malkovich um i like the overacting he's doing in this movie i oh, feel like yeah. he's one of the few actors that can get away with it because like his 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 swagger and charisma sells it enough. Oh yeah, he definitely, uh, especially when he like lost the one game and was like goading on Matt Damon's character to play another right. round and everything. It's like, oh, I love this. This is great. You feel like big strong man, like you yeah. can take over the world. Yes. <laughs> yeah, only he could play that role menacingly and in that kind of way because you can tell that he's still very menacing but he's like mocking him at the same time and everything even though he's down and out at that time you think do you think the Oreo cookies were written into the script or maybe John Malkovich imp- improvised that I'm willing to bet that the Oreo cookies were written into the script but he just took it to a whole nother level <laughs> I'm like, this dude is soaking all he can in this role, man. He's playing with the Oreo cookie before he says, hmm, how about I fold? And then he just wins and takes all his money. Yeah, I have a feeling that they originally, like, wrote in, you know, well, he has to have, like, a chips counter thing with the Oreo cookies there. And John basically just continually played with the Oreo cookies and just was making it into a bigger thing than originally planned in the script. 
that's what I'm willing to bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, overall, I I, I like this. Um, uh, I, I say this is a 90s movie, and, and, and that's a compliment, but in some ways, it, it just really is like, it, it's a 90s movie. And I can see why it's a cult film, too, because it seems like poker players or really when poker was popular around this time in the late 90s i could see how this could be like um this could be a smash hit on video right yeah i can see this probably wasn't that big of a theater hit i didn't really look up the numbers on this one at all to see i mean it, it made over box office it, it almost made double the budget's 12 million and made 22.9 million at the box office so it made money okay um but I, I, I'm almost willing to bet that uh, it, um, it probably made more money on the back end with DVD and VHS. Yeah, well, this DVD definitely has more of a like Big Lebowski feel where it probably, in the theaters it did well enough, but its cult following came from its DVDs and when it was actually available and showing on TV and everything. It's, Dude, it's not a bad movie, movie, but it's very much a 90s movie. It has a lot of 90s cliches. Uh, a lot of the cinematography is very 90s. So, I think Roger Ebert kind of like summarized it the, the exact way as, as how I would look at this. This is a sports movie for poker. Yes. I wouldn't even call this like a, uh, a thriller. It's a sports movie, but for poker. Yeah, because it's labeled as a uh, sports drama, isn't it, for its category? Yeah, I could give. I would give it that. I would give it sports drama, um, because the stakes are raised, but they're never raised like you know to Tarantino level of danger. You know, it's, it's no. just raised like at an actual like you know you, you could really get the you know the the shit kicked out of you for for doing this, and and they do at one point. Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple points where they're having their lives threatened and everything like that, and then one point yeah. where they literally, you know, get their asses beaten, uh, ironically, by a bunch of cops. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Yeah. I, one more thing I want to say, dude, Matt Damon. I gotta tap. I gotta tip my hat to this guy because there's like, there's a lot of actors who have promise early in their careers, and then as they go along, sometimes. Maybe un maybe they they've had unfair things happen to them in Hollywood. You know, Brandon Fraser as an example, and that kind of like you know um, stops the roles from coming, or maybe they just you know kind of just stop acting as much as they used to. But Matt Damon, dude, this is a guy who had a lot of promise and fulfilled it to the most. Like you're seeing him come from this Goodwill Hunting, School Ties to Jason Bourne, The Martian. Like Matt Damon's come a long way. Oh yeah. He's definitely one of those actors with a lot of range that not many people yeah. really talk about. Uh, they don't talk about him. They don't. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, you know, he's he's one of those actors that whenever I see him show up in a movie and everything like that, I I kind of get that like giddy '90s feeling because everything I know from him is from the '90s, basically. Uh, not to say that he's bad in any movies after the '90s, but the '90s is where the movies are that I remember him from. It's where he was defined. Right. Him, him and Ben Affleck. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but Ben Affleck, I'll always just see as Batman now. You know. Why'd you say that name? <laughs> That's all I'll know Ben Affleck for now. Yeah, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> y'all really don't like that scene, huh? Oh, I. It's not that I hate that scene. 
I find it absolutely hilarious, and I think it's some of the worst writing in a superhero movie, which is saying a lot. <laughs> I find I mean, it funny. I don't find it like angering where I'm one of those people going, that was terrible. There's a whole ruined the whole movie. I'm looking at it like, oh, that is that's hilarious. Whoever thought of that, you know that they were patting themselves on the back when they like came to that conclusion. They were like, this is going to be like the greatest scene in the entire movie. It's going to bring everybody together. And then it so just prefer- happens. You prefer so so would you prefer Batman about to kill Superman all of a sudden Diana swoops in cuz Doomsday is acting up and all of a sudden it stops Batman from killing him but then he's looking at Doomsday like oh bigger threat and then they all go after him would you expect that would you would you have preferred that kind of diversion I don't know what I would have preferred but it definitely wasn't oh hey our moms have the same name <laughs> I mean, in, in defense, in defense, they do start off the film with the uh, infamous Batman parents being killed scene. So for emotional effect from a storyteller's perspective, it's a cop out, but it's a it's a passable cop out. It's the, for me, it's just hilarious. It I mean, there's other ways that I think they could have done that. And yeah. but I find it hilarious. Uh, I just find it to be terrible writing personally. But that's what I'll always think of whenever yeah. I think of Ben Affleck now is, why did you say that name? Uh, because it, it's just a sense of horrible writing mixed with amounts of comedy that nobody could comprehend <laughs> at the same time. When I think of uh, Ben Affleck, I think of uh, uh, Wicked Schmott, Boston. <laughs> I think of the town. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, for me, that's... Uh, Marky, uh, or no, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I don't know if I... I Wicked I, smart. I, That's how who I think of when I hear that. I don't know, man. I kind of apply that more to Ben than Marky Mark, but I know they're both from... I know they're both from there. Um, from Boston. Right. Bo- no, it's Boston. 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 It's not Target. It's Target. Target. <laughs> um, yeah, I get a uh, straight up three out of five for me. Yeah, I gotta agree. It's it's a three point five to four for me. Uh, it it gets to the four because of nostalgia, because it just feels so nineties with Matt Damon, and it just all feels right. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's a movie that felt that felt right for its time. I'm glad I finally saw it because I, I I I meant to watch it at some point in my life, and I'm glad I checked it out. And uh, yeah, not bad, not bad. I give it a three out of five. It's three. It's a three. Yeah, I can see this if it, I saw it in the 90s during like peak Matt Damon movie time. This probably right. would have been like I'd be a part of that like cult of loving this movie. Yeah, definitely. I, if I probably saw this film earlier in my life, I probably would be like, oh, man, that's such a great mo-. like, you know, the movies you think back on like that was such a great movie. But when you watch them, you go, oh, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought it was. But I like it for nostalgic reasons. Yeah. Yeah, The Big Lebowski is one of those movies for me. Like, I know a lot of people praise that movie, and I liked it the first time I saw it, and everybody goes, it's such a great movie. It's like the best movie, and I just watch it going, it's a good movie. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, but it's not as amazing as everybody makes it out to be. No, no, The Big Lebowski deserves its its flowers. That's not the same thing. (laughs) That deserves its flowers. Dude, I'd say um, my example for me on Christmas Eve um, well, Christmas Day, I was watching Jingle All the Way with my um, with my uh, sister-in-law. Oh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger family. movie, right? 
And, you know, I love that movie as a kid. Um, but I'm, as I'm watching it, you know, it is making me laugh. But I'm like, dude, this whole movie is about a doll. Like, I figured something else was at stake. But I'm like, the, your son's still going to love you. Like, this is about a Turbo Man doll. Yeah. <laughs> you look back on films like, no, no, there was a different subplot there. There, there had to be. But when you watch it, it was like, no, this is, this is really all over a Turbo Man doll. Oh, but yeah, that basically, yeah, this movie definitely, if I'd seen it earlier, I definitely think it would have been cold status in my head and mm-hmm. it, it basically would have a lot more nostalgia with it, but I definitely can feel the nineties nostalgia with this movie, watching it even for the first time, you know, this week. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna move on here to, uh, Molly's game. You know, we got another Aaron Sorkin film on the bill. Um, you know, I originally wanted us to watch this with Chicago 7, but I'm glad we separated this from Chicago 7. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like this is a this is a better matchup with Rounders for um just for the just for the sake of the theme and um what's at stake for our um, main protagonist here. Uh, but basically, Molly's Game uh, is based off uh, the uh, memoir of Molly Bloom. She's a woman that uh, held an underground, high-stakes poker game that had a lot of celebrities, a lot of uh, big business folks um, attend and play poker. And uh, Eventually, some, basically, the mafia. <laughs> yeah, the Russian mob uh, got attached to it, and the, uh, the Italian mob, too. Yep. Um so, you know, I, as these stories go, everything comes crumbling down. Um, yeah, dude, uh, this this is the one I wanted to see first because I wanted to see how Sorkin, like, steps up as a director. But, um, yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this film, dude. I, uh, I felt like this was, you know, Sorkin has always been a great writer, but I always wanted to see what he did behind the camera. Obviously, I saw it with Chicago 7, so I know mm. he knows what he's doing. But with this one... Um, it, it, it feels like a debut film from a director standpoint, but it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not lacking in any way. You know, Sor- Sorkin is very assured with the way he moves the camera and he keeps the story moving along. Oh yeah. Um, there's, this movie is very fast paced when it yeah, comes definitely. to its storytelling. Uh, it does not kind of slow down to explain things to you. Even when it's throwing a lot of like verbiage at you, that's like poker terms and everything. It kind of just com- reads off the definition to you and goes to the next word reads off the definition goes to the next word and then it's back into showing how it actually comes into play and then it's back to the story see that's the thing with both of these films like i don't i don't know much about poker i really don't but these films there are enough stakes at hand and a strong narrative and um characters you care about that are strong enough that even if you don't know what these people do in this film you know there are stakes Mm-hmm. You you know by the look on the character's face or the way the drama peaks that something bad just happened. Um, that's that's what I like about both of these movies, and it's impressive that they pull it off. Oh yeah, so Molly's Game, I I absolutely love this movie, and it's something to be said. It is very close to the actual events that happened. Uh, they Hollywood it up a little bit, but overall the story is basically true to the facts. Did you read the book? I didn't read the book, but I do remember like when uh, the movie came out, actually looking up some of the information and stuff because uh, Molly Bloom did some interviews when the movie first came out and everything. Mm-hmm. So there was an idea of like 
how authentic it was. And I remember she said that she stood by the movie as an accurate representation of what happened or how it was. Uh, she said it left out details and everything like that, but for the time frame that it had and everything, it, it was accurate. Yeah, man. Um, going off what I said about Matt Damon, I almost parallel have the same thing to say about the lead in this film, Jessica Chastain, dude. Um, Jessica Chastain is a beast, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, ever since uh, The Tree of Life and um, you could yeah, you could argue Take Shelter, too. Um, she's been killing it, man, with the help Zero Dark Thirty, most violent year. Um, you could say it, but um, this film, dude, I feel like this is one of her best roles that I've seen so far. It's definitely up there as one of the, her top roles, that's for sure. And not only her, but the supporting cast around her, because mm-hmm. she's Idris basically Elba. yeah, Idris Elba knocks Kills this it. one out of the park, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he, he plays the perfect, like, sympathetic lawyer. Uh, yeah. Or is he a lawyer or attorney? Um, I think he's, he, he's an attorney. He's an attorney, but he's basically representing as her lawyer in this. Right. Because it's a little bit out of his normal wheelhouse, because normally he's on the same side with the other guys that he was going up against in this one. Right. Um, I always think when there's a lawyer or, or when there's a sympathetic lawyer or attorney in a film, I always think that's kind of Aaron Sorkin putting himself in the film. Mm-hmm. Like like um, uh, Mark Rylance's role in The Trial of Chicago 7. I could see that as an older Aaron Sorkin. Like I could see Idris Elba as kind of like an Aaron Sorkin in the film. Because like, it, it seems like they share the same ideals as him. Right. Like he's putting himself in the film through these characters. Um. Kevin Costner did a pretty great job as a uh, Molly's father. Yes, even though he only really has maybe three scenes in the entire movie, it uh, left an impact. It, each of those yeah. three scenes are huge for the entire film, uh, especially right. the one that comes toward the end. Like that—that's a huge emotional scene, and yeah. it's—it's it's definitely a tearjerker moment for the movie. That's been very like fast-paced about poker and everything like that up until that point. Yeah, I like I like how the film moves along. Um, I like the different in uh, jokes that the film has towards certain characters. Um, like you, you can tell one guy is Eminem just by oh, the yeah. eight mile hoodie he has on. You can tell he's Eminem, um, and you know who Michael Sarah was, right? You know who Player X was. I don't. I never looked that up to see who that was. At first, because I, I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Michael Sarah's playing himself. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, then I, but then I thought, then I thought, man, this guy is kind of a dick. He, he Michael Sarah can't be like that in real life. And I looked it up. Um, allegedly, it's Tobey Maguire. Okay, I, I could definitely see that. Because if I recall yeah. correctly, she has still never named anybody else besides the four names in her book. Right, the four names that are based off that deposition, right? Yep. Yeah, the yeah. four names that she actually put in her book because they were already named in a deposition. She has not named anybody else uh, that was ever involved in any of the games. So it, that's one thing that she still holds to herself and everything like that. So it's basically just speculation on who these people were and everything. But yeah, before rewatching this movie, I completely forgot that Michael Sarah was in it because he's only in it during like a short period in the beginning. 
And right. he, I, I love him in this movie. Uh, you know, Michael Sarah, I, I like him as an actor. I know a lot of people say that he plays the same role over and over, but at the same time, I loved him in this movie, 500 days of summer, uh, youth and revolt. Uh, he's plays the main character of one of my favorite movies of all time. Scott Pilgrim. 500 days of summer. That's the one with Joseph no, Gordon. Um, right. Yeah. Um, oh. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. There That's the go. one he was okay. in. Yeah, because I was thinking, I was like, wait, he was in that? No, no, um, I got the two mixed up by title because they have like the same movie poster, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, I like Michael Sarah, dude. Michael Sarah is always welcome. Oh yeah, you know, like Arrested. It's the it's Arrested Development is super bad for me. Um, that that give me uh, that that is why I always have love for Michael Sarah. He's always welcome, dude. Oh yeah. So yeah, when he pops up in this movie, I instantly recalled, oh yeah, he's a major dick in this movie. I love watching it because Youth and Revolt, I loved watching him like try and play like an evil version of himself. I don't know if right, you've ever right. seen that movie, Youth and Revolt. I've 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 heard of it, but I never watched it. Oh, that that's gonna be added to the list of movies. We gotta find a pairing for that one because that's a classic Michael Sarah movie. That always came off to me like the American, uh, I could be wrong, Submarine. You remember Submarine, right? Yeah, the Richard, Richard Iwade's. Yeah. Yeah, Iwade, sorry. Iwade, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely love that movie. Uh, kinda. Uh, kinda. I could definitely see the similarities between it, but I wouldn't I could pick totally those two off. movies um, against each other. Like, I wouldn't pick that as, like, the one to compare it to. But yeah. there are some similarities with it, I guess. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, <laughs> I love I love uh, Chris O'Dowd's character. Um, yes, the drunken Irishman. <laughs> Speaking of right, people every, from the IT crowd. <laughs> right. He, everything he says is like uh, what she says. The cover of a uh, the, uh, the the title of a mystery book or something. No, it's the first He's, sentence in a mystery novel. <laughs> Right, he says, I'm a man in crisis of conscience or something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, every single line he was given. Oh, it's so great. Um, not only that, but uh, even the, who was it? The person that, he was in Chicago 7 as well. He played uh, the person that originally got hit, her involved in uh, running the poker games. Uh, Jeremy she was, Strong. Jeremy Strong, yes. Uh, he comes off as the person that you love to hate at the beginning of the movie. Uh, it's so great. And I love how I, she completely just cuts him out of the entire poker game. I didn't love him. I just straight up hate him. Uh, but um, yeah, he uh, he just came off very loserish to me, which I think is the is the point. Right. Um, and well, that's ironic. Even Iber, Not- Idris Elba's character... Uh, recognize like the quote and everything from the book and went yeah i know exactly who that is you know right and he didn't say that he said this yeah right yeah um yeah i i didn't i didn't like him but uh he he played that role well though of playing a person you didn't like um which i now that i think about it that really is ironic because she took his game and player x took her game yeah well yeah yeah, because originally she stole the game from him, and I love that she just gave a random list of numbers to uh, his new 
uh, secretary for the right. game. <laughs> and then proceeded to really text people like, hey, this is where the game is now. And then literally started off by going, so he's out now. You're more than welcome to go back there. But, you know, it's 5000 to play every night here. And this is going to be here every Tuesday, you know. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's player X that uh, kicks it off and goes, well, let's play. Because he more or less controlled that entire game. I like the whole, um, yeah, I hear you. I like the whole vignette by um, by Bill Camp's character. He was the one that played Harlan. Um, mm, yeah. He's the guy that, uh, that ends up in debt to player X. Um, I like his whole like little segment where he comes in, you know, so assured and uh, he goes against the, the hedge fund guy that that turned out to be a scammer. And he says, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to beat this guy. And then the hedge fund guy surprises him. And just off pride alone, he's like something in his mind goes, no, that's not that can't be. I did not just lose that game. Yeah. And he just keeps betting, keeps taking more and more chips from Molly, even to the point where Molly's like, look, dude, calm down. Go home to your wife. Remember, it's her birthday. Yeah, he missed the birthday by a day. Ended up getting divorced, divorced two days later because he just. There are, I think there are there are gamblers that just can't stop. They can't stop. Yeah, and I love that uh, the character that he lost to. His name was Bad Brad. Uh, which yeah, I remembered that part very well because of the name, and. I love his character in the movie as well because mm-hmm. literally he's there and he's constantly losing. And at one point he goes back to Molly to get more chips and she's like, look, you have literally lost every game. You are a statistical anomaly. At some point you should have won, but against all odds, you have somehow lost Every single uh, game you have played in this room. <laughs> I love how she says, look, man, if you want me to get you a poker book, I yeah. can. Like, <laughs> Let me know, get and, you a tutor. <laughs> right. And, and um, I love the excuse he gives. Like, oh, you know, I, I don't have many friends. And there's later on, he was uh, he was scamming people and um, putting money in his hedge fund. Yeah. Yeah. Every time he was losing $10,000, he was getting 400000 for his hedge fund. <laughs> Right, right. And it's like, oh, man, I love that play. That is so great. And then, it yeah, is. of course, his being terrible at poker is what completely throws Harlan off his groove because you can't read somebody that has no idea what they're doing. I, I got to say, out of all the scenes I love with Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba, there's one scene that, and it's such an Aaron Sorkin scene, um, it kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit like, man, really? Like um, Aaron Sorkin has this thing where he puts he puts a pop culture reference um, in in a in a dialogue piece near the beginning of a film for a payoff later on in the film. He did it in the newsroom with Rudy, and I like how they're going back and forth. She said, um, "She said it's my name." He says, "What what does it what does it matter what's in your name? Because it's all I have left." You read the Crucible? Yeah, I did. It's actually pretty great. Yeah, I love that. Really, man. Really, and I kind of rolled my eyes. But it's kind of, even though it's a little bit of a cheesy dialogue, it does come off as actually real dialogue of, you, you finally read that book? Yeah, it's it's actually really good. I'm glad you liked it. That's not real dialogue, man. That's Sorkin dialogue. <laughs> it, it <laughs> it's something Sorkin would say. Yeah, it's definitely something he would say. 
But yeah, it's there's a lot of kind of uh, they call back to the Crucible. I think like six or seven times in the entire movie. Mm. Actually, I think it's just I think it's just twice. Um, it's when she it's when he first sees his daughter reading it, and then he she follows up later like, "Oh, why are you making your daughter read that?" And he says, "Oh, you know, it's one of the best plays of the 20th century." You know. There, there's a couple other points where they reference it. Um, I'm trying to remember where, but there's even a point after uh, he takes her on as uh, her lawyer where he mentions it as well, or she mentions it or something like that again. Uh, there, there's a couple times where they mention the Crucible, and it's not until that moment where she actually says that she finally sat down and read it. Mm. Okay. Hey, um, well, you didn't read the book, so I don't think I, I, I was going to ask, is this whole thing here? Um, because I know it's Hollywood. I know it's a Hollywood movie, but I wanted mm. to know if the whole ordeal with her getting her lawyer was was like in a revised edition of the book or this is just something that just straight up happened after. Uh, I'm. So for the lawyer scenes, it has to be somewhat accurate because she said that the movie was an accurate portrayal. It was Hollywooded up, but it was an accurate portrayal of everything. Uh, mm. So I had to believe that it, it probably didn't go down exactly like word for word like that, but I'm willing to bet it was no, no. kind of. Yeah, no, no, that's not what I was asking. I was asking like if in the book, if she put out a revised edition of the book talking about the lawyer and everything that happened after she published the book, like a little epilogue is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, I don't know about that, actually. Okay. Um, I want to say she only wrote the one book. I don't think she actually did anything after that. Yeah, I'd say this is the more... Um, and I don't mean in terms of film, but I mean in terms of like the main character. This is the more likable uh, uh, main character in contrast to A Wolf of Wall Street. Like you, you weren't supposed to like Jordan Belfort, but you were supposed to like how far he was willing to go in his, you know, debauchery. You know, you like Molly Bloom because, you know, she's she's a hustler and she's always trying to do things legit and she's trying to play the straight narrow. She fell a little bit with the drugs, but, you know, it's life. We all fall at some point. But, you know, she got herself back up. Um, Yeah, this is the main this is the main protagonist that you like. Yeah, she's playing the hustle, but she's playing it very clean. You know, she cares about right. the people that are in the game and everything. Like, she warns them, you know, hey, you need to slow down. You know, I want to get you help, everything like that. Uh, even when they, like, hit on her and everything like that and, you know, send her emails proclaiming their love for her and inviting her out and everything, she goes, look, I'm going to say no, but you need to stop doing that because you're going to eventually send that email to somebody that doesn't say no. They're just going to bring it to TMZ. Who you does know? that? Like, who? Like, li- like, listen, that is like the ideal type of woman right there. Who tells you, oh, man, I could get us to TMZ to, that's paying me way more than what I'm making now. But instead comes to you and says, hey, man, smarten up. Don't do this. Like she even says to my man, um, Chris O'Dowell's character, like, I know why you like me, dude. I'm the anti-wife. I let you gamble. I bring pretty women around to give you drinks that make you think you may have a shot with them. But but I love you. You know, that's what I love about you. And he's not even listening to what she's saying. She's, she's, she just <laughs> Okay, you're entirely up. missing the point here. Needless right. to say. <laughs> yeah, it. her character is very much the lovable protagonist and everything like that. Uh, you want her to succeed. That's for sure. 
You're not going, you know, I can't wait for them to bring this kingpin down. You want to watch her succeed and manage to actually get a win. Yeah, I, I really like the last scene um, with her and, uh, well, one of the last scenes with her and her father, um, because I feel like it's a classic Sorkin scene, but it's a Sorkin scene that works. Are you talking you know, about the one on the park bench? Yeah, yeah. He says, look, I'm going to give you uh, three th- three years worth of therapy sessions in three minutes. Or he says something like that. He says, um, mm. and I just love how he breaks down because, you know, film is really the three act structure. And I love how he breaks down those three questions like hidden home. What it what is bothering Molly this whole film? Yeah. And uh, I also love the little joke that he throws in there. It's amazing how fast you can get through these when you're not charging by the hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, it, he's the father character is one of the ones that he comes off as one of the most sympathetic father figures in most movies, even though he's barely in the movie. And mm-hmm. it just comes down to the that scene, basically. Because the other scenes with him, he comes off as like a real asshole. And it's only that scene that he comes out as like a father figure. Because we only see glimpses of what like Molly wants to represent of him and everything. So... Yeah, I agree. Um, all in all, I don't know about a five. Dude, it takes a lot for me to give a film a five, but I'll get us a four point five. Yeah, it. This one's, you know, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. Four point five for me, but right, it's still right, right. one of my favorites of 2017, hands down. Yeah, it's it's a very good movie. I'm glad I watched it. It's always been on my radar. Yeah, because I remember seeing this one in a screening, and then when it came out on Blu-ray DVD, I saw it again yeah almost immediately without saying uh molly game wins out versus rounders i think so absolutely (laughs) rounders in the dust so what is that that's a full house versus a fold i don't know what i'm talking about what what, what would that be in poker terms uh full house versus a flush (laughs) okay oh i thought a flush was over a full house is a flush over a flush is i thought you would notice man don't you play poker i used to Long ago, this movie—the uh, movies—made me want to start playing again. But yeah, it's yeah. All right, Molly's game over rounders for sure for me. Okay, all right. Well, on the movie news, um, so far, what have we learned? Uh, oh, Zack Snyder's Justice League finally has a new date. Yeah, three eighteen. Uh, and it pushed back Nukaguana versus Steroids Bigfoot another week. What? Uh, Kong versus Zilla. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know the crazy thing? I thought that was an actual film coming out. I said, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that one. <laughs> I'm not excited. Are you excited for that? I love kaiju movies. They're always going to be my guilty pleasure. Uh, Pacific Rim, Godzilla, King Kong, I, I'll always love them. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, oh, before we move on to that, so Zack Snyder's Justice League finally has a date, uh, March eighteenth. Um, do you have it on your calendar? You 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 excited for this one, or are you just kind of like? Eh? I mean, I'll watch it when it comes out, but I'm not counting down the days for it. That's for sure. Uh, but it is releasing all in one go as a four-hour movie instead of it being four one-hour parts. Yeah, I, so that's going to be nicer. I'm, 
I'm not exactly excited to sit through a four-hour movie on that one, but at the same time, I I think that's going to be better when it's than four one-hour parts. I don't mind doing it when it's good, when when it's very good. Right. Uh, I wonder how much different this film is going to be because I again, I think I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to hop right in and watch this one because I've never seen the original Justice League film. Yeah. Well, it's going to be vastly different because it's going to get an extra two hours of screen time because justice league fell just under uh two and a half hour mark or something like that Uh i want to say and so this one at a four hour movie it that's that's a lot more time to put into a movie and everything hopefully it's worth it but more i'm curious what scenes from uh, Justice League don't make it into this one because apparently a good like 45 minutes of Justice League was all done by just Joss Whedon so almost you know a third of the movie is going to be completely cut in this new one adding entirely two hours of new material into it okay yeah I um I look out yeah I'll, I'll look out for it I'll look out for it um. Uh, what else was I thinking about? Um, hey, so Kong versus Godzilla. Um, I mean, most likely I, I'll watch it with my wife when it comes out. She she loves those movies. Um, I but I I still haven't seen. I started to watch Godzilla, but I kind of uh, fell asleep on it. Um, but I, I the first one I, or King of Monsters. Uh, the first one. Okay, so the one with Brian Cranston. Yeah, which you know, I, I want to see both of them just to say I've just to say I've seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Skull Island is good. But I still haven't seen that one. Skull uh, Island is probably the best out of the three, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, King of Monsters has probably some of the best fight scenes, but it's surrounded by a whole lot of dialogue that uh, is dumb. That's uh, what to I say hear. the least. Like, 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 it really just like there's a whole bunch of talking, and there ain't no fighting until the end. Yeah, is that true? Uh, there's fighting, you know, put throughout the movie, but obviously the big battles at the end of the movie and everything around the little mini fights throughout the movie is just a lot of boring dialogue that wow. makes you keep going. No, bring bring back Godzilla. I want to. I want to see Godzilla. Where's Godzilla in this movie? His name is in the title. Where is he? <laughs> so this is basically a, a movie I put on while I'm playing cards. Kind of, yeah. Ba- it's, it's background noise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, like, I yeah. love Godzilla movies and everything like that, but at the same time, I can say that uh, Godzilla, the 2014 Godzilla especially is really hard to watch because it's just got a lot of boring dialogue going, you know, to watching a bunch of monsters move. Uh, you don't even see them fight until the very end. They're basically, the entire time, is just watching people move around these monsters. I'm going to say it once, and I'm going to say it again. The best Godzilla movie is the Matthew Broderick 1999 Godzilla. <laughs> the New Rolling York City Emmerich. one? <laughs> yes, I love that movie. Again, that might be another movie where I look back on and go, yeah, this movie wasn't as good as I remembered it. But, you know... I stand by that movie. I love that uh, 
Toho's response to that movie was literally making a movie called Godzilla 2000 to make people try and forget about that movie. Dude, I remember that. And I think I, I think I saw part of that movie and, and I was like, that sucks. I want to watch the other one. <laughs> this one doesn't have movie stars in it. I don't know right. who any of these people are. Not only that, but the audio is out of sync. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess I'm, I, I'll watch it. I, I'll watch it. Look, if you're showing it to me for free uh, and I don't have to go to the movies, I'm watching it. See, Godzilla vs. Kong is one that I really hope that movie theaters are back open again here for because even with my theater room and They're everything... They're already open. Are they? Well, that's saying that they don't close down again. There, there's oh, still man. two months <laughs> before that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but they, they, are, they are still open, though. I mean, um, at least here in Michigan, they are. Um, the Little Things came out. I'm probably going to watch it today. Um... But I know it has the dream team. You know, you got Denzel, you got Jared Leto, got mm-hmm. Rami Malek. Um, I'm not the biggest Jared Leto fan, but I do enjoy him. Okay. And I, I, I love Rami Malek from Mr. Robot, and, you know, Denzel's one of the greatest. So I feel like this could be a this could be a pretty solid film. I, from the reviews, I'm hearing that it's basically, I don't really know what this means, but it's, it's, a, it's a dad's version of Seven. Dad's version of Seven. So basically, like the Seven like, Deadly Sins movie. No, David, uh, David Fincher Seven. Oh, okay. What's in the box? Yep. It's basically a more Hollywood dad version of that movie, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, like, that, that know, was the Seven Deadly Sins kind of movie. Each one of the uh, victims was based on one of the Seven Deadly Sins. Oh, okay. Because I know yeah. I think there's a film called Seven Deadly Sins, which I thought you it, were referring. to. There is, but yeah, that's the one that I was talking about. Is it's. It's called Seven, but it's based off the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like how people say Ford versus Ferrari, which I kind of liked, but they they called it a dad movie. Um, it kind of was a dad movie though. It it like a it movie, was. <laughs> yeah, like like a movie you can enjoy, but your dad would enjoy more, just because of how nostalgic it is. Um, I don't think Little Things is, an, is a nostalgic movie. I think it's set in the present, but uh. I don't know, man. Um, I'm going to watch it. You going to watch it? I might check it out because uh, it's definitely one that I remember putting on my radar list uh, back before every movie got delayed. Uh, so I, I remember it. Let me tell you something, man. I, all these films that are coming to HBO Max, there's about two, maybe three that I'm, that I'm anticipating the most. One is Judas and the Black Messiah. That revolves around um, uh, what was my man? Um, he was mentioned in Chicago Seven. I think it was Fred Hampton, or uh, he he was the leader of the Black Panther Party. Oh, the guy that kept uh, giving Bobby Seale advice. Yeah. Anyway, the film is about him, and it's about the guy who portrayed him. I mean, who who be, who betrayed him? Oh, okay. Um, in the investigation that was after him. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to watch that. Um, I'm going to watch. Oh, and I'm, I can't wait for this, dude. The Sopranos prequel. Um, there's a prequel film to the show, The Sopranos. What's it called? It's called The Many Saints of Newark. How have I not heard of that? 
Yeah, man. Or did I hear um, of that? And that's one of the movies that got delayed so much that I just forgot that it exists. Because there's also the Kingsman movie that's the prequel to Kingsman, and I forgot that existed first until or something like that. Um, something I, I know, like that with, with, with Ralph Fiennes, right? Yeah. And yeah. I forgot that that existed until somebody like brought it up and asked me, "Hey, did that movie ever come out?" And I was like, "I don't think so. <laughs> I think that one's still kind of in delayed limbo." Yeah, I, I, dude, I, I didn't even know the New Mutants came out until it came out. I was like, "Oh, I thought they were delaying that with everything else." Yeah, that one, uh, it, it was okay. Uh, I didn't want to see it. I, I had high hopes for it. A thriller mutants horror movie? God, just the description alone is enough to get me excited. And it just failed so hard. I, I hear it's one of those films that's not that's not too bad. It's, it's, it's just okay. But you could tell where it could have been better. It, there's definitely a lot of points where you could go, oh, they could have done that a lot better than that. Uh, but mm. it's... For me, I had such... I know that I shouldn't have had high hopes for it, but there was something about, like, a thriller horror mutants movie that just got me, like, in the zone of, this is going to be great. Uh, You can't mess this up. There's physically no way you can mess this up. And somehow, they found the ways to mess it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can can see that. Um, It's like one of those films where you got a great cast, but the story is crap. Yeah, and I find it hilarious that the entire cast is, you know, before they were known names is when they were cast in this movie. This was going to be like their breakout into Hollywood. And at this point, the entire cast is so well known because of everything else they were in while this was in production hell. Right. Um, that this ended up having like an A tier cast when it was originally going to be their like breakout into Hollywood. I hear you. Are, are you a are you a Sopranos fan? You have, yeah. a, you have some. Oh, oh yeah. you watch the whole show front to back? Uh, not in like one sitting or anything like that. I think I saw the first couple seasons and then I ended up going back and watching the later ones okay. uh, after a while. So I didn't like watch it as it was airing or anything like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, because this movie, man, it's really about it's a prequel and it's when um Tony Soprano was a teenager. It's mostly about his father and how he ran things. Um, David Chase is still writing the script, um, and, uh, uh, it's directed by a veteran soprano director, um, Alan Taylor, I think. I think he directed a few Game of Thrones episodes, too. Um, I'm excited, dude. And it has, uh, um, uh, Michael Gattolfini. Is his name Michael Gattolfini? Or James Gattolfini? Um, it has his son in it, and he looks just like him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have good. to look up more on that one because I complete. I'm willing to bet if I watch a trailer for it, I'll go. Oh yeah, I remember this one. This is one of the movies I just forgot is happening. A trailer hasn't even come out yet. It's just oh a clip really so far. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a clip because it has that main trailer for all the films that are coming to HBO Max. Um, anyway, third one I'm looking forward to, uh, Matrix Four. That one. I'm so sad that we're not going to get Keanu Day because it was supposed to be John Wick 4 and Matrix 4 releasing on the same day. I was so ready for that double feature at movie theaters. Yeah, that was yeah, that would have been dope. Um, look, man, I know a lot of people have problems with the with two and three, but I really love the Matrix Reloaded. I think that's a great movie. 
Um, I see the flaws in it, okay? I see the flaws, but I don't think it's as bad as as. And I don't even think three was bad. Three was just it was just an okay epilogue. The twins were the saving grace for two. The twins, the freeway scene, the freeway yeah. fight scene, like um. Yeah, Matrix Reloaded has a lot of memories. There's a lot of great scenes, I mean, but then when you watch the whole movie, you kind of go, oh, yeah, there's a whole lot of this other stuff in this movie, too, isn't there? You know, I Three, feel I like... think the only thing that I hated about it was it basically took the entire script of one and two and went, none of that matters anymore. This is a new movie. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess you could argue that. It's been a while since I've seen all three back-to-back. I'm going to do that one day. But um, it's like Rounders. Rounders had a lot of great scenes, but all together it was just an I eat movie. Right. Like, I could see myself looking that cop scene up again where they get jumped by the cops. But overall, I think the movie was just, you know, it was I eat, you know? Yeah, um, there's... Yeah, for me, when it comes to HBO Max, Kong versus Zilla, obviously... Uh, Kaiju movie, I love it. Uh, the new Suicide Squad, James Gunn with the Suicide Squad being yeah, given. Be good. It, I I've got high hopes for that one. Um, you know, and I don't think that I need to be fearful of having high hopes on that one. I think it at the very least it's going to meet expectations. You know, it might not shoot far above them, but it's going to meet expectations for that one. But, and then, I mean, I just, oh, go ahead, go ahead, finish. Oh it no, up. go ahead. Oh. Well, I. Would you watch a David A. Year cut of a Suicide Squad? Oh, absolutely. Uh, based yeah. on just the trailers and the scenes that were cut and everything like that, and the kind of, uh, I guess not reviews, but opinions on the original cut of it before it was given to the uh, trailer studio after the trailers were such a huge success for it, uh, it they had high praise for that movie. And people that saw the original cut of it and then eventually saw the theatrical release basically said that this movie was nothing of what they saw before. And the fact that it was changed up so much, they were confused by. So I would love to see a David Ayer cut. Just based on the comments that people have had who have seen it and based on like the scenes that are missing from the trailers alone. So I I would definitely sit down and watch that. Okay, fair enough. Um, anything else on your list for HBO Max? Uh, Dune. Um, oh, yeah, dude, I'm reading that book now for yes, the first time. Good. Uh, I'm excited for that movie. I'm so excited for that movie. Because uh, we do have a Dune movie, which it has a special place in my heart. Even though people hate that movie, absolutely, I I still enjoy it. I plan to watch it right after I get done reading Dune. Because uh, I love David Lynch. And even though he disowns that movie, I heard it's still a pretty good visual movie. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. by no means a perfect movie. If I was to have to score it, it would probably be a three out of five. But, man, I can sit through and watch that movie anytime somebody puts it on or if it's on TV or something. Now, can you sit through that movie because you love the book? I assume you love the book. Yes. So, so it's because you love the book that you can sit through that movie. Uh, kind of, but at the same time, the movie is its own thing as well. Okay. So even okay. separate from the book, I can enjoy that movie. You ever watched the miniseries? I never watched the miniseries. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm just reading that book for the first time, man. I'm, I'm loving it, dude. I'm uh. I'm in, I'm in part one 
But uh, I like it, dude. And uh, Dennis Dennis V, our guy that made Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Of course, he's gonna crush it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, Matrix, same thing. I'm definitely down to see more Keanu Reeves. And yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that I was excited for off of HBO Max. Dude, I think Marvel should just go ahead and put Black Black Widow on Disney Plus. Like, it ain't even that big of a deal, man. It, I don't think that many people are checking for it. Are 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 they? It, they literally can't because it's tied to Disney's contracts with movie theaters. And if they decide to move it away from movie theaters onto streaming, they would have to renegotiate all those contracts with movie theaters, and they'd lose a lot of the benefits that they have because they made oh. those contracts back during like. Uh, I want to say like Age of Ultron is when they made some of these contracts that they're still going off of with movie theaters that guarantees that their movies play in so many theaters and, you know, so many rooms in the theater and everything like that. And well, it's time for renegotiations, ain't it? I mean, it's a new it's a new day and age, right? Yeah, but at the same time, when you have a sweet contract that's guaranteeing you millions and you might have to renegotiate right, right. to something in the, like hundreds of thousands, Fair it, enough. you're going to keep you're going to hold off a movie that you know you could easily put it out because you want to save that because keep in mind you have other movies like The Eternals, uh Shang-Chi and uh Thor coming up and everything like that that need those blockbuster releases. Hey, man, I got one random thing to ask you. Um, can you explain to me what's the big deal behind Elf? Um, I know around Christmas, I bought my, my grandma bought me that movie on DVD, but it was still a big movie. And, I, you know, it's a little funny. It's a little stupid. But why is it such a, a Christmas favorite? Uh, well, you have a mix of Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell and just the entire concept of it. It's very Christmassy, family friendly. It's what it comes down to. That's such a stupid movie, dude. <laughs> I like it That's still. <laughs> I mean, it has its charm to it, but I'm like, dang, like this is really a Christmas classic. Jingle all the way. I understand. I understand mm-hmm. that because it's so it's it's so goofy behind comprehension, and it's and it shows Arnold Schwarzenegger was good at comedy, but um, all right, I guess. Yeah, there's really nothing special about it. It just meets like the criteria of happens to be during Christmas. It's a family-friendly movie, and it's got the quirky main character of Will Ferrell in it. It's It hits the trifecta of being a classic Christmas movie. Uh, same way that a terrible movie like Home Alone can become a Christmas movie and become a cult classic, even though it's one of the worst movies ever made. Home Alone? Yeah. Oh, I hate that movie with a passion. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you win against one of my favorite movies. Oh. On. Wait, wait, hold, hold, hold. So you don't even like two? Uh, two was just a rehash of the first one. They just put him in a hotel instead of his bedroom. So do you do you not like it because his because because he has bad parents? Uh, I hate the stupidity of it all. The amount of like disbelief that you had to throw out the window in order for all this to happen is insane. <laughs> dude, I love Home Alone, dude. I think Home Alone makes more sense to me than Jingle All the Way. I mean, I mean, you're putting up, you know, <laughs> two movies that don't really make sense at all, and going, I think this one makes more sense than this. Home Alone's made better. 
uh, John Hughes wrote it. Enough said. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> um, yeah, we got to have a conversation about that later. Um, that, that'll be the next Christmas episode. We'll put up Home Alone versus Elf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, that's been another episode of Double Feature versus. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one.